Okay, ready for this? Ready or not, here we go. Yeah, let's do it. Does this make you nervous? Um, un poco, but... Okay. You're so chill, I can't tell. I'll get Isaiah <laughs> using his arms and speaking in, like, crazy accents or something. Oh, great. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and you'll have All proof right. of it, too. Yeah, exactly. This is, like, the perfect, the perfect setup for you. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of Lead Him to Life. I am super excited today, today to be sitting across the country from... I feel like a new but old friend. Uh, is that fair, Isaiah? We went to high school together and didn't really know each other, kind of stayed in contact, you know, minimally throughout the years. And then we got to have coffee a couple weeks ago and I was like, we need to be friends. Yes. No, I, uh, that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. I think we technically missed each other. I think you were, you graduated the year before me, but I knew much of the esteem of Emily Hoffman at the time. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, Isaiah, tell us a little bit about who you are, um, where you live in the world right now, those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm originally a son of the Dakotas. I grew up in in Sioux Falls and lived there most of my life. Um, Graduated from O'Gorman in 2014, and then I moved down to Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, You graduated in 14? Yeah. Why did I think you were only like a year younger than I am? Uh, maybe it's my maturity or something. It's totally, your, it's your beard. It's your beard. You're yeah, so mature, so, I've so regal. I've been lots, lots of comments on the beard recently. So this It's is looking good. good. It's looking real good. Thanks. Yeah. It makes Lumber. you look very sophisticated. Good, good. Yeah, I just got out of lumberjacktober, as I like to call it. So. <laughs> And now entering in, you're just going to keep on going with no shave November, huh? You can't, can't shave at this point. So. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so you graduated in 2014, which is mind blowing to me. And then what? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I shipped down to Lincoln um, just to start undergraduate down there. Um, you were at UNL, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Um, and I studied psychology and I'm kind of an odd person. I never actually changed my major. Um, so blessing or not, I don't know. But um, so in the middle of my undergraduate, um, I actually took a hiatus of sorts to enter the seminary um, for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. And then I went up to the University of St. Thomas, um, which I know you graduated from. Yeah, yeah. So another connection there. Yeah. Uh, and I studied... Um, philosophy as is required of seminarians and I was I was in the seminary for just a year and um, before deciding that that's not what the Lord was calling me to at the time so I actually went back to uh, Lincoln okay. to finish up my my degree and um, the year after I just kind of worked a little bit I built pipe organs probably the most interesting thing I've ever done um, is that hard work I mean those things are massive <laughs> There is, you know, there's a lot of heavy lifting, but I think the diciest part about it is the heights. Like that you oh, because you're like up in these lofts. Yes. On, not only in these lofts, but like on top of organs <laughs> in the lofts. And 
It's, it's like <laughs> oh very scary. I don't know if it's <laughs> like I'm sure it's legal, but it just it's scary. Like, just doesn't seem right. <laughs> you're like oh, man, I shouldn't I be allowed to do this. Or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. seriously. <laughs> what a weird job. How did you even get connected with that? <laughs> um, well, I had an interest. I play piano a bit, and mm. um, so I had just um, a, pa- a passing interest. Um, and it's, so I, they were putting new pipes in my Newman Center at Lincoln, and I was just fascinated. So I went up there, and I didn't have a job lined up at the time. Um, so I was like, hey, do you need need help? Yeah, I need help. And that's really how I got the job. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So if you're listening and on the hunt, maybe just show up to somebody and say, hey, this looks interesting. Can I help? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Well, Father Stevens, actually, I went up and tuned his organ in Del Rapids. Oh, sure. Out of the blue. So sure. those skills stick with you, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Good for you. Um, okay. So you were an organ putter together for a while. What is the official term for someone that does that? And- I... I wore several hats. I was an organ builder, tuner, and technician. There we go. Okay. So then what happened after that? Yes. Um, So I decided then to go serve the homeless. Makes sense after building organs, right? There's a clear connection. Yeah, clearly. Makes total sense. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. So I moved to Denver, Colorado, um, and this was last year. Okay. And I served with a Catholic organization called Christ in the City. Yeah. And we do um, outreach to the homeless there. Uh, we live in community. There was 34 of us. And we live together and we do everything together. But we would go out to um, the worst areas of Denver, downtown Denver. And we would encounter the homeless there. Um, and a lot of our mission was just, again, that encounter, just spending time with them. Um, because a place like Denver actually has a lot of resources and they have lots of food and um, social services, those types of things. But what was missing from a lot of these people's lives was deep, genuine friendships and meaningful Mm. relationships. So we spent most of our time just getting to know the homeless and um, showing them them that they were worth our, our time and our time, our friendship. And, um, and I know we'll get into this more, but um, kind of following that and where I am currently, I moved all the way across the country to the D.C. metro area. And I started, I'm in my first semester studying for a doctorate of clinical psychology um, with the hopes of, of being a clinician and um, ministering to those people, whoever needs it, really. Yeah, yeah, for the mental health. Yes, right. Yeah piece, right? Okay. So I have two, I have two questions about your story. Sure. Do you have any regrets about taking the year off and going to seminary? And okay, I'll leave it at that first. Okay, sure. Um, absolutely not. Um, seminary was one of the best years of my life. Um, and in some ways I wish I had had more of it. Um, Wow. It was so formative to be among so many brothers, um, just for those lifelong friendships. There's a group of nine of us actually from the diocese that we still get together every Tuesday. Whether Seriously? We're, yes. Yet whether we're in Sioux Falls or um, we've been doing Zoom like every week. Yeah. And so 
for one, those friendships that have gotten me through like anything and everything. Um, but then also just the formation in holiness and in the human aspect of things, learning how to get up consistently every day at the same time and starting your day out in prayer. Um, and just this attitude of I'm going to give everything I have to the Lord. Um, and like learn about him through philosophy, through theology and, um, begin this process of becoming, um, well, conforming ourselves, conforming myself to Christ and being his example and his light in the world. Hmm. So no regrets whatsoever. Was it difficult to leave it? It was really hard to leave it. Um, it, yeah, it was such a, a good deep encounter with the goodness of God and, and the church. And I felt that tension for so long. It was, that's why it was actually a very difficult process for me to leave because I knew in my heart that I I wasn't being called there at the time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there was that goodness that you just hold on to and you treasure. Yeah. So even when you were in seminary, we, well, you started at UNL, studying psychology and and it must have been kind of throughout this whole process this uh, desire this attraction to psychology to the human person to helping the human person seems to kind of have remained I mean even in Christ Christ in the city like the whole the whole purpose of that is to be present to the human person where where did that come from or how do you see that thread kind of playing out throughout the last um, I don't know, maybe even 10 years, even when you were in high school? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, the more I look back on my life, and this just happens like by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but you see that thread and it goes back further and further every time you mm-hmm. um, examine things. So I just remember um, as a kiddo, always wondering and trying to put myself into other people's shoes and in and into their thoughts Hmm. Um, I remember having conversations with my dad about why a person would do something like I I can't even think of an example but I just remember having that fascination even from a really young age to understand why people did things Um, and then so into high school I kind of had my first real encounter with the mental health field as a result of my own Um, mental health struggles Hmm. and um, sorry I got a doorbell (laughs) isn't that so fun when people come and knock on knock on your door (laughs) so was it an exciting visitor at the door Um, yes I actually uh, I knew something like this was gonna happen (laughs) Uh, but our dishwasher needed to be fixed and so they were looking at my dishwasher real life real life okay so we were just chatting about um kind of leading into high school and just your draw to um the psychological sciences and you were saying your own experience in high school was a big impetus what was that about yeah so um just struggling with a like a few relationships and um not knowing how to cope with the realities of life and and that relationships are a very hard thing um that actually even led me to a a pretty dark place even to the point of um being in a 
inpatient facility for a few days. And that was such an interesting experience for me because I was surrounded by um, counselors and, and psychiatrists even. But then um, other, I guess, kids, at the, you know, thinking at of kids the time, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Um, my age who are, and not to downplay my own struggles, but they had just so much going on in their life. And they were struggling so, so deeply. So I'm at like this low, low place in my life, but I feel this incredible connection to these other um, adolescents who are probably in the worst moments of their life as well. And I'm like even finding hope in that. And I remember someone asking me in the midst of that, like you were a wreck yesterday and you are so much better today. What's that all about? And I don't think I had an answer for him at the time. Um, And I'm not even sure that I have one now but there's something so beautiful um, and agonizing about being in the midst of suffering with somebody um, and even going through it yourself and being able to share in that suffering together so from there um, i just had this love in my heart for psychology and just to understand Um, and like, we kind of make this joke about most psych majors that they go into it trying to figure themselves out. (laughs) That's kind of the truth. Yeah, there's a bit of that for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's a fascination with why do I think the way that I do? And I mean, I don't, I, I'd be curious if this was your experience, but when I took my first psychology class in college, I, I, I remember literally thinking, how do people go through life not knowing these things? Because it seemed so valuable to my life and to the, my friends and everything that everyone around me was experiencing. It was like, this is the human condition. And then pairing that with kind of this like faith-based lens, you know, a vision of the world, basically, it just, oh, I was like, oh, it all makes sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think like at UNL even, um, the intro psych course is the biggest course um, number wise as far as students go. And I think that speaks to exactly what you're saying. Like we we do, we just all want to understand how the world works and, and how to relate to each other. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really great point that you, mm-hmm. you make and it's been very valuable. So I think it's interesting that as you reflect upon even that experience for you in high school, that suffering alongside the suffering seemed to draw you outside of yourself. Um, And I would, I'm just, is that, does that continue to be a reality for you? I think, um, yeah, to have a little bit of a conversation just about suffering and its effect on the, on on the human heart to behold suffering, um, the things that it can do to us. And yeah, I just love for you to talk a little bit more about that. And if you've seen that continue to be a persistent reality for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I saw it most clearly in my time doing homeless ministry um, with Christ in the city. And uh, yes, it continues to be reality that being with someone in their suffering um, brings out, I don't know, the spirit of, of the Lord and of God. And, and it brings about hope, um, through that relationship. So, I mean, 
in homeless ministry, I just, the image I go back to is just a raw wound unbandaged. Like you just see the worst sufferings, um, people that have just been completely ousted by their family um, or, you know, have lost their family through tragedy. They're suffering from any, any um, substance abuse issue you could think of. There's mental um, issues as well. And so you see like, yeah, that humanity just on display and raw and unbandaged. And um, again, with our ministry in Christ in the city, we didn't really have the tools to be mental health clinicians or to solve addiction problems. We could lead people to the resources, but what we were doing is we were just sitting there with people. And I have so many memories of that, just sitting and listening to people talk about the immense suffering that they've experienced. And um, it's such a harrowing experience, but it's such a humbling one. When a person is at the bottom, like rock bottom, it is so easy for hope to like infect that place. And I've seen it in the lives of these people. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I'm just sitting here with you and showing you that I'm here with you in it. And the amount of joy and hope that that can bring to people is absolutely inspiring. And it doesn't like quite make sense, but it's like such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Okay. So I know you're saying you're just sitting and you're being with, and, and I can see this about you, even though we don't know each other super well, that this is so natural to you and just your temperament and the ease in which you can be, uh, you just have this relaxing presence about you, um, or this calming, peaceful presence about you. Um, but for somebody listening, that's like, okay, Isaiah, I hear what you're saying. Um, but my friend that's going through the suffering or whatever, because we've all ha- we all have those people. I mean, especially this year, like if yeah. 2020 hasn't been the year that's exposed human suffering, um, man, oh man, in our lifetime, like it's just been a very real uh, level of suffering. Can you give yeah. some practicals on, on how to do that well? <clears throat> I mean, even just in terms of like, what do you say or how do you open up the conversation? Um, I, I hear a lot from maybe women that have, uh, lost a child in miscarriage or something like that. And like, there's just no words really that somebody can say like, oh, you know, it'll be okay. Or you can try again. Like none of those things are helpful to them. Um, and yet there's this ache, right, on, on our part as friends or as, as family or maybe somebody whose sibling is going through a really difficult time, whatever, this ache to be present, this ache to, to help um, and finding that balance between not just like sitting there without any sort of validation or does that make sense? So maybe yeah. some, pra- what would you say as practicals for to do that well? Yeah, um. Well, I do actually want to acknowledge um, a beautiful like image that we would turn to at Christ in the city. Um, and that was John and Mary at the foot of the cross. Um, and in the midst of watching for Mary, her son, and for John, his beloved teacher and um, friend, suffer like dying 
the most horrific death he possibly could. Um, and it, there's no doubt that they would have wanted to do everything that they could to bring him down from the cross. And um, yet they knew that their role was to, to simply be there. And I, and, and you mentioned that, like, I, I think we can't underestimate the power of just simply being there, even though we might not have the words at the time, just showing, you know, calling, checking in um, often, even if it's just a text, like, hey, I'm thinking about you. Do you need to talk? Just being there in those ways is immensely powerful. Um, and we experience that so many times on the street where we, I, I don't know what I can do. I cannot remove this suffering from your life. Um, but I am here. And I think validating, um, I think you mentioned it, but it is such a huge part in reminding a person that it's okay to feel this way. Of course you would feel this way. Um, and be merciful to yourself that this is hard and it's, you're allowed to feel what you feel. So <laughs> I love, I love that. Like be merciful to yourself and you're allowed to feel what you feel. I, as you're sharing that example, um, something comes to my mind. We, uh, my husband and I are in a, a group of couples, basically call ourselves Lord's day. Cause we get together on the Lord's day mm. and, um, we rotate praying over kind of the hosting couple or whatever. And this last weekend, uh, we were not hosting, but Matt and I hadn't been prayed over for a while because the last time it was missed or something. And so our friends said, hey, Emily and Matt, we're, we're going to pray for you kind of thing. And Isaiah, <laughs> they instantly laid hands on me and I just started to weep. Mm. I just wept and wept and wept the whole time. And... um and, it, and I was like, why? Like, this has never been this emotional for me before. Like, what's kind of going on? And I was struck by, or what came forward for me was I felt so known and loved. And I've been in a place, I think, with this new role that I'm in and, and all of these things, um, things going on in our family life right now that are busy and full and good, but full, um, where I've just been really pouring out. And, and to experience this moment where I simply had to receive the love of another human being, I just was reminded of how humbling that was. And as you're talking about that, as you're sharing that, um, you're like you're experiencing Christ in the city. I think, I think even for the average person, you know, that's going about their work or family life or whatever, that's that's also what's at the heart of it, right? Is is that experience of being seen and known and loved and beheld? You know, I felt I felt beheld, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just was a powerful, yeah. a powerful moment. That's really, that is a really beautiful. Experience. Isn't that beautiful? Th yes, thank you for sharing that. So, um, I as, as you continue and as now you're you're um, getting more deeply into your studies and that kind of thing, um, you shared something on Facebook. Actually, I saw your comment on uh, mutual friends. Uh, post he had he had shared something about how do you how do you continue to stay positive or whatever I just am really struggling feeling down and and all of these things like quarantine has been hard um, I think he had had to quarantine a couple different times and whatever um, and I just thought your response was beautiful and it was actually the impetus of like 
oh man, I'm really excited. I want to have Isaiah uh, on the podcast because it was so insightful. And you were talking about um, how paying attention to our emotions can be kind of a roadmap to maybe some different things that are going on. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Can you can you expand on that, what you had shared, where it comes from, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and I've, I've learned this a bit through my studies, but just kind of through life that uh, there's there's a surface emotions that exist, um, things like anger. I think anxiety kind of falls into that category as well. Kind of just think of like your basic emotions, happy, sad, angry. Um, those usually don't tell the full story at all. Mm-hmm. And I really believe deeply that emotions yeah, exist as, a, as road signs pointing to something deeper, something that is maybe not a need that is maybe not met or fulfilled. Um, and so actually it just in one of my first classes, we spend time interviewing um, our classmates role-playing and starting with these surface emotions and asking ourselves what's okay. What's underneath that. Um, and I actually, this is a perfect example. It happened yesterday. Like you can't make this stuff up. Um, okay. I went to a brewery with some friends and I noticed that the bartender um, in front of us was really upset about something. He was kind of taking it out on our group um, and just like pretty nasty. I think most people would have, you know, no tip from me. Um, I might not even come here again. It was, it was kind of bad. So I actually got up to order my beer and um, at the end of it, I just kind of threw out there. I said, Hey man, I'm sorry that we're kind of causing you some trouble, but, um, you know, sorry, you know, apologize. I'm sorry about all that. And he instantly changed. It went from anger, like clearly anger to, you could see just like this deep disappointment in his eyes. And he said, nah, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry that I've been kind of rude. Um, we actually just got robbed like an hour ago. And, um, so things are kind of crazy and, and I'm, I apologize for that. And blah, blah, blah. Oh so, my gosh. so there was just so much more that actually was lying beneath the surface of that. And if it's anxiety or, or anger, if we can, like, if we have the courage to ask ourselves, what is actually here? What is beneath this? We actually find so much more, um, there. For this guy, it was, wow, I got robbed and I probably feel um, like maybe it was my fault or someone else's fault and I just lost a bunch of money and I don't know how to deal with this. So. Yeah. I, that's such a good example. Wow. Um, and, and I love that you're drawing out. It's not just what the story was behind whatever the emotion was. It was actually the emotions connected to the underlying story or the backstory. Because I think it's one thing to be, to be crabby and to say, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I just, um, it, yeah, it was a long night and my kids didn't sleep or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But okay. What's actually underneath that? Like, it's not just the fatigue. It's actually, the, I feel like I'm pouring out and I have no time for myself and I feel selfish for feeling that way or whatever, right? Like I think that there can be all of these emotions that are connected to it. So how do you help people get to that point of being able to 
see the emotion behind. So I, I don't know about you. I feel like so often I live surface level, right? And go through my day and experience the meeting or the, the phone call or the, the interaction with my husband or my girls or whatever. And, and I don't take that moment to say, okay, why did that, why was that hurtful? Or wow, why did that bring me so much joy? Like that was fun, but why did that bring me so much joy? How do you help people get into the rhythm or the habit or whatever of uh, paying more paying paying attention more closely to those road signs of of what's really going on in the human heart yeah i'm lobbing you hard ones <laughs> this <You're>, is great. <laughs> i'm gonna have to earn my degree this is great. i'm like i am like eating this conversation up i think it's so yeah yeah i'm i'm not gonna lie i think it is it's something that you have to to work at Mm-hmm. And it's something that you grow, um, y- your skills grow in. And it's just like being aware of it is step number one. Yeah. Being aware that, and I, for some people, this is, might even just be a novel concept that like your emotions lead somewhere deeper. So just being aware that your emotions are road signs is the first step. And then just whenever it comes to your mind, asking yourself, okay, why do I feel this way? For me, it's anything that's negative, right? Like if if I'm experiencing a negative emotion, I've kind of trained myself to just go to that place. Okay, why why am I feeling anxious? You know, we we don't normally feel anxious. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's true, yes, there's brain chemical, you know, levels and those sorts of things, but there's usually a cause for something. So, okay, why am I feeling anxious? Why am I feeling angry? And just asking yourself those questions and being honest. I think that's another thing is practicing. Yes. Oh, that's a good point. And that's a really hard thing is just, yeah, admitting the truth, even if it's hard. Um, I think prayer is a really good place to do these sorts of things, to do it with the Lord. And just like prayer, it's a habit. And it's a skill that you work at and you build up. Why do you think your comment about it's difficult to be honest with ourselves? Why do you think that is? Well, um, I think the world we live in, especially this modern culture, everything is about your image. It's about how you present yourself, the social media, um, just trying to impress everybody. You got to get the right job. You got to work your way up. And we live like in, in believing that that is the only thing we have to offer to the world is our image and it better be polished and it better be exactly what TV wants it to be. Mm -hmm. And we have this just oppressive, um, what would you call it? Desire, but um, yeah, we feel like we're required to fit into this and it just crushes us. And we don't want to admit that we don't live up to that image. Mm. Maybe even the image we want for ourselves and that we're sinful. Um, Because we think that it's like so deeply ingrained in our value that if I don't fit this, I'm worth nothing. And why would we be honest with ourselves if 
if we think it means admitting that we don't have value. But that's kind of like the whole paradox is like you are, you are in this place of anxiety and of, of sadness because you're trying to be something that you're not. So it's like a vicious cycle. I would say so. But I'm also, again, not licensed. So I, should, <laughs> I always need to make that disclaimer. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I feel like I'm totally receiving therapy right now in the best way possible. <laughs> I think you're so I'm I'm sorry I just am like I need to soak that I need to soak that up because I think it's um it's so true and so common to the human experience where we do we struggle being honest with ourselves um because it can be scary and it can reveal kind of the underbelly of the beast if you will you know like to look at our sinfulness is often a really difficult thing or to look at our our stories or our wounds or um whatever and and there's caution in that too right we don't want to dwell on these things and be like oh i don't know like spiraling into this yeah. uh, psychoanalyzing of ourselves or anything like that but but to simply get in this practice of pausing. I had a friend tell me today, she was like, I feel really drawn to silence right now. And she was, she was saying, because with all of the, the media and the stuff going on in our country and all of these things, she was like, I just, I recognize that I need that place um, to hear myself think. And, and it just struck me like, how authentic is that? Like so beautifully, um, human and, and needed. And yet if we live at this hustle pace without ever really taking the time, um, to kind of slow down and pause and think, um, which maybe leads, I have one more question. Well, two more questions, but, um, this comes out on election day. And I can't post this episode without acknowledging that this comes out on election day. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you, the, the divisiveness, the, the divide, the disunity um, right now in our country, in our cities, in our states um, has really weighed on me a lot this year, more than I thought that it would. And uh, at at times, I think, has robbed me of my peace and of my um, my flourishing. And I and I say this because I've heard a lot of other people say it as well. Um, What do you see as helpful ways to navigate uh, the results of this election and the impending continued disunity either way that it will that it will foster um how do people navigate that well yeah you are pelting me this is i know <laughs> i'm sorry no don't be sorry um i think the place and i can i can relate to all of it it's again i think we need to acknowledge that this is this is a very difficult time um and again be merciful to ourselves that this is a very very trying time i always go back to my first thought is providence that we we do we actually have to remind ourselves constantly that everything in this world is subject to god's providence even the evils perpetrated 
by the worst um, of people is subject to God's providence. Nothing is outside of the scope of his hand. And in that sense, we will conquer. That's um, the reality as, as Catholics and as Christians is that the Lord will conquer. Beyond that, I think going back to what we talked about with honesty is really important. And as these emotions come up, like let's not put ourselves in a place that we know we're going to be led into these negative emotions. If watching the news puts you in a place where you are just livid and going to hurt the next person that walks through the door, um, be more prudent with that. Do you need to put yourself through that? So being honest with yourself in that way. Um, and then being honest about really just con like going to those fears that you have. Maybe the candidate that you um, want to win doesn't win. Okay, what does that mean for you? What am I afraid of in that? What is this person that I didn't want to win going to do? And is this fear rational? Um, and if not, why, why is it, have such a hold on me and like to ask yourself those questions deeper and deeper mm -hmm. and, and, and to be honest in that. And I think, and I hope, and I pray that that leads us back to a place of that providence and trust in the Lord that will be okay. And, and yeah, I don't know. Also yeah. finding someone you trust to like talk through those things, I think is really mm. important. Yeah, just not to, just too. not to sit in it with by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah, your wisdom is beyond your years. Um, yeah, I think that's really beautiful and helpful. And just that, that a really good reminder. I love that you just started with Providence, that it's actually not ours. You know, the world is not ours to, to worry about. We can show concern, but it's actually not ours to worry about. Um, and if we really trust in the Providence of God, all is well. There's freedom, you know? There's freedom which is so beautiful. Okay, here's my last question for you. I ask every guest that comes on Lead Him to Life if there's a question that you have been pondering. Um, and this just comes from uh, my desire to probe the world around me, to probe my own heart. Uh, uh, providentially, I think your honesty, your comment about honesty with ourselves um, to just probe more deeply into the ways that I think and the ways that um, yeah, we see the world. So I want to know if there's a question that you, Isaiah Lamb, have been pondering. And the only rule is that you cannot answer your own question. That's good because I couldn't answer it even if I wanted <laughs> okay, to. Okay, good. You don't have any. I love it when people don't actually have an answer to their question. That's, the, that's what we're going for. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. And this entire year for me, the word that continually comes to me in, in prayer and just in life is, is the word boldness. And so I just have been pondering um, for most of 2020 what boldness is and what it looks like in my life and wondering how to love boldly mm. in a world that's um, in many ways conquered by fear. So. Oh, that's a good one. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. That is a really good question. Well, I feel like... Um, God's been the one asking it. And, He's been know, the one making, making yeah, me <laughs> wrestle with it. And obviously, I mean, his questions are always going to be pretty good. He's God. So, 
Absolutely. Well, Isaiah, thank you so much for, yeah, just sharing your heart and your insights and your wisdom um, and your journey with us. It's, uh, I love Lead Him to Life in that it really does. It has offered this opportunity for, for me and I think for listeners to just encounter someone in their journey and in their story. And you have such a beautiful way of pouring your story back out. And I think we're going to continue to see that as you go through your doctoral program and then come back to the diocese and work here and serve all the great people here. Right. That's my grand plan. (laughs) You know what? It's mine too. And uh, (laughs) we'll see how God brings it about. Absolutely. Isaiah. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I encourage you to share it with a friend, especially somebody that um, has maybe been struggling or is looking for just a little piece of, of mind and reassurance uh, and some encouragement uh, for themselves to take a step back, to ponder, to take a deeper look at their own heart uh, and what God might be doing in their lives. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.